Yes. Mm-hmm. Episode four with my good friend, Payman Hazir. In the house. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's Friday. Friday. Friday feelings, amazing. Friday feelings. Uh, Guinness poured up here for me. That's how I look after you. I put such a big hosp- hospitality here. Put you. I put. I wanted to put you in this romantic mood. A, a candle lit Guinness podcast. Amazing. If only people could see this. Maybe this will transform into a video podcast one day. I have been thinking about that. I know. So for right now, you can stay naked. thank you so no it is good it's friday i always get good feelings on friday of course yeah you had a good week had a really good week smashed it smashed it and got a lot of stuff done done some training this week no (laughs) (laughs) i see you put some weight on yeah you know just just i'm like a beer you know winter time just put some weight on get Uh a bit furry Mm, Mm. furry. then in march april i kind of Shred off some kilos, get back in shape, shave that fur off. So there's no training at all right now? Ah, yeah, some training. But oh. No. But you've just been working hard. Yeah, that's me. So then, let's give the millions of listeners a background on mm-hmm. you. So, from my recollection, I've done some digging. Mm-hmm. I believe we met about eight or nine years ago, the first time when I, it was actually a winter ride. Yeah. I can't remember if it's snowing, but it was a bloody cold ride it was a bloody cold ride me you and some of the sickle city people mario bjorn anderson yeah and then we had coffee in uh, bianchi bianchi coffee, coffee that's yeah. how i remember we met for me the too. first time and yeah, yeah our eyes just locked and that's love at first sight it was El- or no it was that's yeah. how i looked at it well, yeah we just start uh i think we picked you up like around along the road somewhere and then we cycled together for a while and then uh when we, when we were sitting having coffee I think I asked you where, where you lived. You were like, oh, I live in Hammarby Sjöstad. And I know that that was exactly when we moved into Hammarby Sjöstad. So mm. we were literally neighbors. Mm. So I re- remember that very well. You just picked me up. Just That's how I roll. That's, <laughs> That's how you roll. You just pick people up on <laughs> the way. I picked you up by, I mean, the, by, the, by the roadside. I don't remember being picked up. You were picked up. You were, you were picked up, man. Yeah, I, I've got a quite good joke. <laughs> Don't, 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 st- don't go there. Stole these jokes. Don't go there. <laughs> I had a girlfriend once. Uh, Stop it. She was homeless. Could drop her off anywhere. <laughs> nah, I stole that, but it's a good one. I love that one. There's plenty more jokes. It's Friday, yeah. and we love it. Yeah. So I think we, that's, and, and you're probably one of my oldest best friends in Sweden. And we have done quite a lot together. Yeah, we have. We've slept together. Yes. Traveled on holiday together. Yes. Cycled together. Yes. Got a motorbike license together. We did. Yeah. Well, you got yours. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. What else? Business. Yes. So we're, we're, we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot. And uh, neighbors. Neighbors. So it's, uh, it's perfect. We walk uh, dogs together. We walk dogs together. So much in common. Yeah. If only we were... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no. Let's stop there. I've been Just, recommended to be—I uh, don't know—draw the line a little bit. Let's take a drink of this Guinness. Mm. Mm. Oh, I do. I tell you what, I do like it. This is a canned Guinness, but I do like a Guinness. One or two in the pub in England. Mm, love it. What's your favorite beer? Sour beer. What's a sour beer? Fermented beer. 
Mm. What's a ferment to be? Is that the uh, IPA stuff? IPA and probably some a lot of bacteria in it. <laughs> I don't know. Man. Like a kombucha beer. I don't ask. I just drink it. Do you go into a pub and say, oh, I'd like a fermented beer? I actually, bit- I actually did that in the UK and it was like, what? <laughs> you either get a pint of John Smith's. Have you had a pint of John Smith's? No. It's a real like uncle thing. John mm. Smith's old school. Um, but I'm so impressed with your. I followed you, obviously. <laughs> I haven't been stalking you, but I followed your path both uh, in uh, business mm-hmm. and in your sporting life, mm-hmm. which I'm a, a massive ambassador of you. I, I, I love what you're doing. Oh. You inspire me. And I'm not just saying that just to suck up to you. Okay. Brown knows you. All right. So, so, so. I, this is how I see you. So you, you started, I don't know if it's a sales rep at Telenor or, is it, or a more of a, I, got, I looked at your LinkedIn, retail development manager. But no, every- I started as a sales rep visiting stores, teaching people how to sell Telenor subscriptions mm. at Eleganten or Media Market or wherever they were sold by them. The worst salespeople ever. Best salespeople. Like Best pe- job ever. People ringing me up all the time, trying to get me to sign a new. No, but this was in the stores. They don't mm. call you. You go to them. Different, different approach. I'm an man. online man. <laughs> of course. Then you went on to work at Workshop Retail. Yeah. Became the chief operating officer mm-hmm. for nine years. Yeah. Then took over as CEO. Yes. I did a mutiny. Ah, oh, it was my time now. <laughs> it was like I remember <laughs> the mutiny takeover. Yes. Yeah, I remember the day my my face changed. <laughs> I'm not going to go. Everything into, changed. I'm not going to go into details what I'm happened, like, yeah. but I, I came the day after in suit. Just ah, oh. I remember. I, I won't go into the details because you never know who's listening. But <laughs> yeah. I remember the day you came and we bump into each other outside your flat. You had a certain feeling in you, and you just said to me, "That's it. I'm going to be the CEO of this company." Yeah. Or something else. And then you did. And I love it. Every time you've decided to do something, you say, I'm going to be the doing this. Yeah. Get it done. Mm. And now you're a partner of this company as well. Yeah. So you're, ha- you're heading up one of the, I would say, biggest retail agent- brand agencies in Europe, grossing about 300 million a year, Kronos, or is yeah, it or more? Yeah, even more, almost 400 million. I think it, 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 the, the revenue was about 150 when I joined. So now it's growing steadily. So, it is roughly 400 delivering services in almost 20 countries from Japan to Helsingfors to Paris. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's fun. And I would contribute that because you met me. Of course. Yeah, because it uh, wasn't doing 400, no, but when no, you before. No, 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 you're the inspiration. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. But then you're also a, a world-renowned <laughs> street photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, being recognized uh, by uh, photo, f- f- how do you say the place here? Photographs Museet. Photographs Museet. And then uh, Lecce. What? Is that name? Ah, Leica. 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 Ah, yeah. yeah. My pronunciation. Leica Photography International. And what are they exactly? It is, Leica is one of the most like known camera brands, German brand. Uh, and they have this magazine that is uh, basically publishing photographers so but to be in that that's like you, you have to be you, you you're recognized you're you're in Rene- yeah i'm good you are fucking amazing <laughs> so how did you decide to become a i mean i mean talking business is fine yeah. but I, the more the more i'm i've got some interesting questions mm-hmm. to ask you regarding business um but how did you i mean 
of course, the good thing about running this podcast is that I get to sit and just be attentive to you, and mm. we're not distracted by a dog trying to jump up and oh, get yeah. a ball, or you know, someone kids ringing and stuff. So that's the beautiful thing about just sitting here for an hour a bit and just getting to know things I haven't known about you. But how did you get into the street photography? Um, or photography yeah, in general? I got into photog photography. Uh, it was the first. I think I, I took the. We had, me and my dad had the first vacation, or our first vacation, or my first vacation when I was 22. So we went to Spain, um, and I was like, I need to have a camera to take photographs. And it was my first trip to Spain as well. So I brought bought a really cheap camera, brought it there, and started taking photos. And I was like, this is quite fun. And I showed the photos for some friends, and they were like, oh, did you really good at this? And then it kind of uh, took off. Uh, I wasn't that good at it back, back, back then, actually. But then I moved to the States to study marketing and journalism. I never knew that. Really? I didn't know you were what? in the States. You haven't done your due diligence on me. Well, my friend doesn't share. It's not yeah. Well, I can't share everything at the where same the time. States? I'm spreading it out. Washington, D.C. Oh. I went to the capital. Of politics. Of politics. I will make yeah. <laughs> America great <laughs> again. Exactly. <laughs> No, I went there uh, and I brought my camera and I started taking pictures of people on the streets and then it kind of took off even more from that point. And you have a very specific style, black and white, close-up of faces mainly. Yeah, portraits, black and white, eye contact, and I'm really good at just bringing out good black and white photos. And really good at capturing a, an expression in people. Yeah. Or, or a moment in that person. I mean, there's a famous guy in Sweden who's, uh, did you tell me, like, when he was like 50, he decided to tattoo his whole face? And yeah. He's, he's got this cowboy oh, six, hat. So he was 65. Mm. So he, he was uh, this guy's uh, entire face. He's a cowboy. Like, he wears a cowboy hat and the full shebang. Um, and he has, he has his, his whole face tattooed all over it. A lot of text and patterns and stuff like that. So he told me that he always wanted to have a tattoo since he was a child, uh, but he wasn't allowed from his family and mom and dad. So when he uh, retired at the age of 65, he just went into the tattoo shop and asked them to, to tattoo his whole face. Like you do. Like, okay. <laughs> Midlife crisis. <laughs> but it? it was good, though, because I, I got a really good shot and it got published. Uh, yeah, it's quite, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very known photo. Yeah, yeah. So, I saw him actually in Hammer Request uh, either a couple of months ago or the back end of the summer. Mm. I saw him walking uh, the other day. Yeah. Uh, not the other day. No. Uh, so he's, uh, but I mean, I, 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 my father didn't let me do it. He said, <laughs> he get, when I, when I grow up, my father said to me, you're not allowed to swear. Mm. You're not allowed to have motorbikes. You can't have tattoos and you're not allowed to have girls sleep over until you're married. Moved to Sweden. <laughs> I had been with other women yeah. before then, but <laughs> and, and that's what you say at least. <laughs> I met Lena. I met Lena. Took her to England. Yeah. Got her engaged before I went down <laughs> home, and then slept in the bed. <laughs> yeah, I won't go into details. Yeah, swearing like mad. Yeah. Even my, I'm very proud. Yeah, you my, do. My daughters have uh, got Tourette's now, mm -hmm. and uh, look, quite a few tattoos. Yeah. More than he's and ride motorbikes. Yeah, not not good holding. Uh, Kid, not, no. not good to hold your kids back. Not at all. But my face, no. No, it's too pretty. It too, mm. It's just a too good looking face to start messing around with it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm. 
So um, where are you going to go with the pho photography? Do you think you're, I mean, we've talked about that before, like, you could you see yourself eventually retiring or getting very rich and just taking photography or do you think because yeah. i see you you'd like it as a, as, part, as a therapy isn't it in you yeah but i have this um trinity mindset which i've i've grown to understand that i need all these three elements to actually be like in balance so one is um work so, which is obviously, you know, being a leader, doing business, making things grow, and stuff like that. So, using my brain in that sense. The other one is, is training. So, physical activity to feel that I am, you know, have a strong body and, and strong uh, mental fitness as well, because I think those are connected. And the third one is creativity. So, I've learned that I need to have all these three elements in balance and always active to be on top of each and one of them. So if, if I work, only work, but I'm not allowed to be creative in the photography or train, then I know that work is going to be suffering. So I think that's the mindset I have. So I, today, I mean, of course, if someone would say, like, you get a lot of money uh, to just take photography and you can, of course, cycle whenever you can, I would probably say yes, but um, for now, I, I want to keep photography as a passion because if that becomes work, then two two are work, and, and that messes up my my philosophy of this trinity. I love these things. I love these these um, inspirational ideas. Is it something you've heard of, or something you've sort of taken but also adapted for yourself? No, because I, I know that I started uh, I start thinking of do I want to become a photographer full time? And then I was like, well, probably not. I mean, I like I like doing business and developing company and do what I do. So then I started thinking, well, if what, how would this? I'm, I'm I try to be very practical in, in when I make choices. And I was like, okay, so if I want to be a, become a photog photographer probably have to do a lot of like shooting burgers for mcdonald's or max or shooting i don't know what apartments to get going and I, I just was like that's not the type of photography that i would enjoy so that would kill the whole, whole inspirational part so and then i start to figure out like okay I, I, I probably need to keep both these happening and separate in uh but then down the road i actually um uh, saw an interview with someone which was saying exactly the same thing which was um how did he phrase it you need to have a you need to have a a passion that pays the bills you need to have a passion that uh, keeps your body healthy and you have to have a passion that like make life fun or something like that so it is so it seems to be a way of proven path Mm, I love these things. I have, um, I've always had a very, how can I, I've had like a, a trio philosophy in another way that I haven't read, but I come to learn about it, <clears throat> having obviously a relationship with my, my wife on the balance of where I sit, how I divide myself or how I both 
compromise myself within the dynamics of a family. And I feel like a lot of people, both people I know or people I see, once they have children, they often then lose themselves. Mm. Don't they don't do things for themselves. And I'm not saying you 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 should continue living selfishly. Mm. But you know, there's this uh, always this negotiation on well I you know, I did these amounts of hours with the kids and it's your turn and this and, you know, yeah. and I, and, uh, but I found that my life is my life. Mm-hmm. Number one, I need to take care of me in order to be good for other things. Then me and Lena met. So we need to do things. Mm-hmm. So that's a circle within. Okay. And then we've got children as well. And these three circles, family, me and Lena and myself mm-hmm. need to be in balance. I can't like, just do everything for the kids. There's a lot of things I do for the kids that I feel are in my interest as well. Yeah. But to do things like just to be a a, a dad that sacrifices himself because, yeah. okay, he doesn't, he has to give every time to the kids. Yeah. And you don't give time to yourself. You need to have, I think you need to keep that selfishness. So I also have this kind of trio thing. And I learned that mm. during my marriage that the, that was important and I justified why maybe it's just me being just justifying my selfishness really. <laughs> no, I don't know, but I mean But you know what I mean? It's yeah, I know. And I feel like people, you know, and I especially in a family, they forget why you two met. Mm. You didn't have the kids. And so I feel when people divorce, they almost forget when well who were we when before we had the kids? We yeah. were these two people passionately in love or had this lust. Mm. And then, okay, we can't handle this now, this management of more people. Yeah. And I've always looked back. Yeah, but I think, I mean, knowing you and uh, being neighbors and everything, I, uh, and stalking you. Mm. Well, I mean, you, you, um, you and your family do. I know that you and the girls, you started early on with uh, riding bikes together. I mean, you do a lot of activities together that they seem to enjoy as well, that I know is part of your interest as well. So biking, I know you've been... Take them out ride for with motorbikes. Um, you like cars and driving and helping them with their driver's license. Uh, they, I think they were actually the one that got you, or you got them into jiu-jitsu and they kind of got you back and start working out in jiu-jitsu as well, right? Well, actually, <clears throat> no, they, I got them into jiu-jitsu because, uh, I can't remember, do you remember in Stockholm there was this youth festival for the second yeah, year yeah, and there exactly. was a lot of... Harassment, uh, sexual harassment uh, yes, going on. We don't have to go into no. these. And I felt very threatened that I need to get my girls prepared to understand when, when, when no is no with words is not enough. How can they physically yeah. defend themselves? Exactly. And I feel a girl who can show a, a good defensive move, like just say, yeah. a guy puts her hand on the shoulder or on the ass. Yeah. And she grabs him in a certain way. Mm. I think the guy will go. Mm, this girl knows something that doesn't feel right. Yeah. And they did it for a few years and I was still cycling a lot. Mm. And then I just was really intrigued and then I got into it. Yeah. I was okay, so, exactly. Yeah. So but now I'm uh ready, now you have, ready for now, ready. You have, now you have hairy legs. Which put, makes you put on some weight. Good weight. <laughs> yeah, good weight. I'm not fuzzy like you. No, but the thing is that it was very, it's quite a big difference. I mean, when you cycled, you've always been like a trim and well, mm. well, uh, a good body shape. Um, but it's interesting because looking at old photos, you 
now looking back, it's like you looked super skinny. <laughs> I actually noticed that as well when I. Put, how much have you? How much put? How much <clears throat> weights have you put on? Uh, you have to be very like you have to paint it out because obviously people can't watch. So you have to can see. You have to uh, in, make them vision. So I, I noticed it myself when I look back when I started jujitsu. Uh, put the gi on. Mm. You know, it looked very big and stuff. Yeah. Like uh, I was, I think. From cycling, I'm um, I was seventy three, yeah. seventy four kilos, um, and now I'm touching. I'm I'm probably around eighty kilos. Okay. So yeah, but I feel good. Yeah, I feel good, and I I love the fact that I learned a new sport. Mm. I, probably, and new friends, you know. I mean, you seem to be a really nice community. New friends. Still new got friends. you. So yeah, let's talk about friendship. <laughs> Yeah, but um, just to dive off on a yeah. bit, I'm, I'm, we've gone down this road before and uh, I'm curious again about, we don't have to get into politics, but you're from Iran. Uh-oh. Originally. Mm. Let me take, I need to take a yeah. beer sip here. And, yeah, yeah go on. Well, go on. I can do I just gonna... I'm, Tell me the story again, because it's, it's, uh, about how you came here with your parents and how that evolved and when it was, and and that, and, that, and then try the, to keep how, it shorter. No, oh. it's no rush. But like you know, the the story and details is is wonderful. I mean, yeah, a, but but um, I mean, it's I think it's a very it's a story about like I I really admire my dad and my mom obviously because we we come from my my dad started off. A small village in like a fishing village in in south of Iran, and um, he wanted to do a career. So he studied uh, during nights. Uh, he moved to a big city. He got a job at a bank, and he, you know, after a couple of years, he actually became the manager of that bank. And it was the largest bank in Iran in that city. So I think it was like. I don't know, five, six million people living. So it was quite, you got a good position in that bank. What city was it? Uh, Shiraz. So, and it's the second largest city, I think. Um, so he did good. So he had a really, like, at the age of 26, 27, he was a wealthy young man. Uh, he got into real estate and all of that. So at the same time, there was a revolution. So they threw out the Shah, uh, which was a more of a European. So Iran by then was a, like any other European country. Um, and then the uh, Islamic Republic. What, oh, sorry. What, what year is this? Do you, this would you say is roughly? This is about 86, 87. 80, in the, in no, sorry. 80s. Yeah, in the 80s. 84, 85. So, so Iran was very Western. Yeah, European. it was Western, Western European, democratic. democratic um, you can vote. You can vote. I mean, obviously, it was there was this uh, Shah who was. I, I don't think it was a democracy in the sense that we see it today, but it was a forward-thinking, progressive, open-ish society. Uh, With women on several levels. Women on several levels. Uh, there was no like hijab or any. Mm-hmm. Islam wasn't. Uh, was not running the country, so he was in that sense. So he's quite similar I didn't know to that. Yeah. I didn't so, know that. and um, so it was thrown out, and then the Islamic Republic took over the, the power, and what they basically said that everybody was that that was rich were uh, capitalists. 
and capitalists, then you will probably you know, be on the Shalhan's side. So they more or less either hang all their rich people that were still left in the country or put them in jail. And that was one of those that were put in jail. Sounds very like Hitler Jewish. Yeah, it was very. So they basically wanted, uh, yeah, they, they wanted to have the power. So, you know, long story short, he sent my mom, uh, myself, my younger sister on a plane to uh, Thailand. So the, the, I'm going to jump in a yeah, little yeah, bit now because uh, yeah. I, I like details. And I'm imagining things were changing very quickly. Yeah. So he had to make decisions quite quickly. This is like, this is not like he had a month to think about it. This no, is no, like, no. He was in jail. He called his. Um, his well, he got he got caught. And yeah, he got jail. caught. Yeah, and and he didn't do anything. How did is, he get identified? Because he worked in a bank. It was no. But that time he wasn't working. He had his own company. He had a lot, owned a lot of uh, uh, properties, and was into the property business. So how was he identified? Um, I don't know. It just was just like he was known, and he, he was, was known. Someone, in, yeah, he, he, was, on he him. was one of the uh, richest young guys in Shiraz, um, and he was like really making good money. And so this was this uh, uh, local, like um, what you call it, religious leader that was also a judge. Mm. So he basically said that you're you're too young to have this much money. Uh, there's probably something fishing going on here. We're gonna throw you in jail. Um, yeah. So, and and that's the that is still the situation in Iran. There is no you you can't have you can have all the papers in the world showing that you're are doing the right stuff, but it doesn't mean anything at the day. So he was thrown in jail. He called his lawyer, said that send my wife from a family family to Thailand, um, and he did. And then he wrote he gave the lawyer full authority over his bank accounts, house, everything to be able to actually save some of the money or, or um, yeah, try to, to save out the situation. So how did he, uh, just to interrupt you there, I mean, what, what was the new regime stopping people from leaving the country? Or was it still... You it was still... still it was still open, so you so could. So she, the family, still could get yeah. and pretend they're going on holiday. Uh, exactly. Okay. So they they went they went to uh, so that you could travel and and uh, so they did and um, so while we were in in Thailand, the uh, my dad kind of pays himself out of the jail, bribes someone there, gets out, jumps on a plane, come to Thailand, um, and. Long story short, the lawyer, which had been a friend of family for as long as my dad can remember, basically took all the money, all the assets. Uh, so left my dad with the money that he had with him to Thailand. So he had a couple of businesses in Thailand and in Singapore, sold them off, took that money to fund us coming to Sweden as political refugees because he couldn't go back to Iran. And we couldn't stay in Thailand uh, either. So he sent my mom. We were here alone, living in different, I think two or three different uh, uh, immigration camps or refugee camps or whatever you want to call them. Um, and after two and a half years or so, then my dad came to Sweden as well. So he was in Thailand? He was in Thailand. 
And he couldn't go with you from Thailand to Sweden? No. Uh, so he sent my us first and then he... Uh, Why couldn't he come to Sweden? Um, because we didn't... Uh, he he uh, needed to stay in, in, in Thailand uh, to make sure that me and my sister and uh, my mom got our... Uh, what do you call it? Residency. Yeah, residency. Or uh, allow us to actually stay, become accepted as political refugees and then... It would be easier for him to come to Sweden as well. So, how old were you then? I was eight. Do you remember it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember. I remember when we came to Sweden. It was snowing. Carola was on TV because she just won the European Song Contest in a yellow, yellow dress. You're like these guys just don't know anything that's going <laughs> on in my country. No, but it was like I think as a kid, it just it was quite normal. You just come to as a new country, and we, we were. I mean, we were traveling a lot when I was young, so it wasn't anything like, mm. it was just like, okay, there's a new country. And I, I don't think really I understood that this is going to be our new home. Um, but yeah. Um, and obviously you're, f- ha, ha, I got a couple of questions. How, how, how comes the lawyer was able to have all this money and not be put away? Were lawyers seen as different people compared uh, to the others? Yeah, I don't know. He was the fishy know. one. Yeah, so he just he just kept the money and and, uh, yeah. and I mean, I guess your father tried to contact him and he just didn't reply. No, he replied and it was it was all always always these excuses oh. of you know formalities going on and this and that. And, yeah. When did he just give up? When he, when did he realize? Uh, oh, this. I is... don't know, but I asked him like, do you always, do you because obviously he had to start off his life with from scratch again. Mm. So which is quite tough if you. I mean, we had butlers. We lived in a large house. I go to private schools. Um, I had a driver driving me to school. So, wow. yeah, it was really, really like good life. So I actually, and and then it come back to Sweden and start off going and knocking doors and cutting grass for people to just have something to do. So, I mean, that's why I admire him because he started off from from the from the bottom again. Uh, and I told him, and I asked him like, what is high? you feel sad looking back? And he's like, I have left that. So that's almost like a life I didn't have. Almost like a dream. So I can't go around and think that I had it. I had this much before and, and here we are today. So he's like, that's a life that that almost, I think of it that didn't happen. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, also having that energy to be able to rebuild again. What what do you think would have happened if he stay if you stayed in uh, Iran? What would we? In- I mean, I, I think of it too because I, I was like, okay, if we, yeah, if he wasn't put in jail, we were still in Iran. I mean, uh, if nothing drastically would change, we would probably be a rich family living in Iran. Like, how would that be? It was like, yeah, we would have this all this money, but we will be quite miserable living in Iran because the reality is that you're not allowed to listen to music. You're not allowed to travel exactly how you want. You're not allowed to express your opinion. You're not allowed to, you know, uh, and I, we have a lot of family still left in Iran and they will die too. And actually uh, two of my cousins uh, uh, walked from Germany, they walked from Iran to Germany uh, as part of the refugee uh, this refugee uh, movement. movement that was a couple of years ago during the Syrian war because it was very 
unsettled in the Middle East by then. So they actually walked. I mean, imagine how desperate you are to walk from Middle East Iran to Germany, uh, which they live now and they're studying and they have good jobs. Jesus, people complain about me driving my car too. Yeah, <laughs> or sitting in traffic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's... That's, that's crazy. But your dad was put in prison mm. with the assumption, I guess, for corruption, financial corruption, because they they were trying to play yeah, that card. Exactly. So they could could he have been? Was he worried? He just didn't because there was no because this regime was so volatile, and they could decide what they wanted. He didn't want to be risking the consequences, which he had no control over. So he could have got maybe okay or he could have gone to jail for a long well, period of time what would the what would the consequences if you yeah, stayed but i think i think they have to think about the reality that he was in back then it was mm. that almost all of his friends were killed okay it was it was death yes so so that's what he saw and he thought that I, was what he saw <clears throat> yeah so he saw that this is this regime and back then or still now but even more than they actually will hang you from a construction, you know, in English, crane. <laughs> crane. Crane. Uh, to demonstrate that if you don't do as we want, we will hang you in public. So have that in mind and you're like, okay, I'm not going to stay around to see how this turns out. You just want to get out of there. So, uh, yeah. Can you be rich in Iran now? Yeah, I mean, there is plenty of... And the, the funny thing is that is these, these mullahs... These Reli uh, religious uh, leaders are the richest people in Iran, <laughs> which is quite you know it doesn't make sense, and that's what's happening in Iran now that they force all these rules on women, um, not you know not wearing hijab or being living their life as free individuals, um, while they are having uh, you know kids and women or children living outside of the country living uh, the way that they uh, that they according to them is a sin so it's messed up I just feel religion is there's so much facade to religion so much trying they're trying to paint the picture where oh you should believe in the higher powers and have these mm. ideologies but actually, they're the richest yeah. community or let's call it a business, yeah. operations. They also are law beyond, beyond themselves. Mm. Um, look at the Vatican. They don't subject yeah. themselves to the law of Italian law. The clergy, the priests, well, they've also done despicable things to young boys mm. and girls, and predominantly boys, because that was kind of the... You know, yeah, the, uh, yeah. Uh, it just I just feel like religion has so much harm in it more than good yeah yeah because and then they are kind of dictators within itself where do you where do you see the I mean I feel I can see through watching the BBC news and stuff what's going on with Iran right now and mm. obviously the the girl they got um, beaten up in the police for not wearing her hijab. Mm. Where do you see it going now? I mean, what's the status now and where, where do you see it ending? Do you think this could be a revolution 
could this re revolutionize the way yeah. Iran is? Could that actually turn it over? I, I think or, it will turn it over. You think this could? Uh, it's the first time in you know since we left. Because men are supporting women. Men, I mean, men are supporting women, and I think this, the government have gone so far in shooting a lot of people, killing a lot of people, a lot of them being young kids. I mean, the, the youngest one was like nine years old. So I This think is because of the protesting. Because of the protests. They're killing the protests, and I think they've gone so far that there is no return back into normality again. Um, because, uh, and then, so I think this will lead to some sort of a revolution, um, soon. Is it, is there going to be a similarity to the Syrian war that, um, uh, military groups will, uh, start up? No, I mean, Iran is very different from the rest of the Middle East. It's one, I mean, if you look at Iraq, there is like no, it's not one, one group of, people, Iraqi, I mean, of course, they're Iraqi, but there are different fragments in the society, while Iran is a high, it's one of the high, highest educated uh, people in the world. It's one of the highest, I think they have the highest, uh, the youngest people per capita, I think 70% or something like that of the, of the uh, people in Iran are young adults, um, and it's one one people, quite unified people. Obviously, there are the religious ones and the non-religious ones, uh, but I don't. I, there, there's not going to be a new Syria with. Um, there's not military groups. Military groups, and so I mean, no one knows what happens. But I, I think, and I hope that uh, it will be a new type of democ democratic uh, leader in place soon. So you you think they could overrule the 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 government? Yeah, there will have to be a change. Yeah. And then the new government coming in will have to have some policies that are more liberal and uh, democratic, yeah. women's rights. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I hope that happens. That's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, the Shah, the Shah, the previous, uh, yeah, the Shah's son is actually living in the U.S. He's brought up in the U.S. with Western values. Uh, and he could very well be the guy who who is coming back to be the leader in Iran. And if that happens, then that would definitely change the direction in which the Iran is have been. Is the politics corrupt in Iran? Like uh, I mean, everything is corrupt. Politics, business is just eating itself in um, yeah in society. Do women have? I mean, unlike we see with the Taliban in Afghanistan, do we see? Do women? I mean. Do women, I mean, apart from having to cover up their hair and hijab and everything, do do they have more rights, like to be, like uh, education, work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you can, they can they work. They can go to parks. Yeah. They can go to parks. You can work. You can uh, study. So it's very different from Afghanistan, as an example. Um, but they are still. I mean, you can't you can't have a boyfriend walking if you're not married. In the city. Say that one more time. You can't, you can't uh, walk down. You can't walk with a boy that you're not married with in city center, holding hands. Right. As an example. So you have to. So I mean, I mean, this, this sounds like I need to take my daughters there. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I mean, this. So how how do they date? Is it behind closed doors? It's is behind, it arranged? Yeah, it's behind, it? No, it's not arranged, but it's behind uh, closed doors. Yeah, I mean, obviously you, yeah. Well, how will you meet people? 
How, how does it go? I mean, I think, I think in Iran, I mean, obviously I haven't been back into Iran no. since we left. So, um, but there is a life behind the doors. So, I mean, there are a lot of parties going on and people are having fun, but it's just that it's not, everything is happening behind closed doors. So they don't want it to be shown in public? Because you can't, yeah, you can't show it in public because you have to be married. And how, how are you identified as being married in public? I don't know. Yeah, don't even want you, know, you, should, you should bring my dad to this podcast. He knows everything. I'm so fascinated with cultures in different ways, and of course, I totally disagree with the way women are treated or people, human rights. But I think it's it's just fascinating how how these the dynamics work. Yeah, even. but but it's important that this is not the culture, the culture of Iran. This is something that's been forced on forced on people. Okay, so the culture is not that. I mean. Culture is not that you, you can't meet, uh, have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or stuff like that. It's just that it's forced upon you by a the religious, religious police and the leaders, uh, to, you know, to to keep people apart. That, so you're saying there there is a minority group which is the government, basically power having the power over the majority of the population that believe in something else. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. Uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around it a little <laughs> bit as well, and and I, and I, <clears throat> I only recently learned through the news about um, the I don't know what they're not called ethic police, but yeah, the mor the morale police. Moral so police. you got the police that were like uh, with the crime and stuff, and then you get the police that will. Oh, the the only purpose of that police is to make sure that you're following the religious laws that the regime have put in place. It's to make sure that your hair is not sticking out out of your hijab, or that you're not holding someone's hand that you shouldn't hold, or you know, just uh, and they were put in place to make sure that the regime cannot be overthrown. It's a very very powerful. Um, you know, police, military force. Why do you know? Um, last question yeah. on this. Yeah, and I, I don't know why I haven't looked into myself. Why? Why is the hair needed to be covered up? What? What? What's the? Do you know anything like that? I uh, know. I mean, I I know that it's. Why is the hair so specific? I don't know. Uh, I think it's probably because it's synonym for women or the beauty of women well i get uh, the face yeah i i, I read because but i mean you know the face can be open yeah or i don't know what the full hijab is or the, the uh, name yeah but uh i would you know i i i don't agree with it but i get why they're they're keeping it a secret but yeah. the hair i really understood I the hair know. i don't know not going, you're that. not going back there are you i would love to go back um, but not now, obviously, for obvious reasons. And I also, I didn't do military when I was a kid. Yeah, you mentioned this before. If you went back, you'd be caught. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole thing is that there is no security in Iran. So, in in terms of that, you know, they can they can probably they can more or less charge you for whatever they want, mm. and that's like a daily form of the guard being there. Don't like the looks of how you look, then they can just pull you in and say. Uh, we're not happy with who you are or what you did. 
when you were 12 and then that therefore you were going to put you in jail so <clears throat> it's not like these instagram reels or, or youtube uh, reels where you see uh in america like some civilians that know the law inside out and yeah no these cops are coming yeah. up yeah and okay filming what, you. <laughs> what's your id number what's yeah, your name what's no. your badge um yeah, we want to see your ID. And then yeah. no First Amendment and all this. I mean, if that happened in Iran, they... <laughs> no, man, they, they were... When I was young, that was one of... Yeah, when I was uh, young, they were actually driving around in the city, the, the military, during the Iran-Iraq war, picking up boys at young age, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, putting back of a truck, drive them to the, to the military, uh, to the front to do uh, you know military duties so and that tells you quite a lot about that there is you don't have any rights in iran end of it doesn't much doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are or what kind of papers you have to prove it so who wants to live there we've got nothing yeah. to, <clears throat> we got nothing to nothing, complain man, about nothing when people complain about the healthcare system yeah, yeah. I, I mean go to iran man yeah <laughs> go to england <laughs> go to yeah, no, england is <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I got sick here uh, in Sweden 16 years ago, um, I uh, got in the healthcare and I was put into this room, my own room, own toilet, own TV. Mm. Oh. And my father rang me and says, look, Damien, we will fix something. We'll uh, Let's look into either getting you back to England or look specialist in other. And I said, look, this is private healthcare, yeah. but it's paid by the... Uh, yeah. the, the social money my, my dad, and in my, england it's like you got a curtain yeah yeah no my, my dad he loves sweden he says that it i have and he he's he happily paid taxes he he's a social democrat by heart and he goes like <coughs> I, I like to pay taxes yeah well, i'm <laughs> proud social democrat oh, no. he, he goes like First I, paid my, I paid my taxes because i know what it means because he have experienced living in a country that is the opposite of Sweden in terms of freedom, yeah. in terms of social network, um, secu social security net and stuff like that. So he goes like, I pay my taxes to know that I can trust if the police stops me. I know he can't just pull me or whatever or try to, I need to bribe him. I know that if I get sick, I can go to the doctors, I can get good health care. I know I can put my kids into school without having paying for it and so on. So... I think being on the other hand, seeing how it's not how it can be if you don't live in a country like Sweden, I think you would appreciate what we have in Sweden a lot more. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree. Regardless, if you're a social democrat or moderate or whatever. I mean, the streets are clean here. It looks amazing. Um, you know, it's next level. I That's mean, good. I I love it. I, I, I love mean, it. it. And it's a you know. Unfortunately, since I've been living in Sweden, and we can say after the, we can both agree on this, is the crime of the type of crime increased mm. in Sweden, which is unfortunate. The shooting, the availability of guns. Yeah, that's a little bit. Uh, we need to we need to fix that quickly because, for me, that having two young mm. women, um, women will always be more victims than boys. But I think boys are still victims. Um, it's just not a good precedent to go for, to to have, and I think <clears throat> that is unfortunate. But it's still at a, a a level which is much lower than other countries. It is, but it's still it's still high. And I mean, uh, the ones that are being affected of the of it mostly is the one living in those areas. 
but it is a problem. It is becoming a larger and larger problem if you don't do it. And we need to make sure that the generations that are behind doesn't end up in the same criminal pattern. Mm. So I mean, things so we need to do stuff short term, and but also do stuff to uh, prevent. Absolutely. Yeah. Going off on another topic, mm -hmm. but still a cultural topic. Okay. What's your most favorite country you photographed or you got on your list? I can imagine going to Iran would be a fascinating yeah, country. Imar, Imar, Iran but, is my uh, absolutely number one. Uh, but waiting for the uh, overhaul of the government first? Uh, yeah, yeah. I would love to go to Cuba because I, I um, it's just a uh, You have black... to take it in color though. No, I would love to go there. That, that's, that's the thing. And that's also the thing that I do. Everybody goes there to take in color because it's so nice that you have all these colors. But I want to go there and take it in black and white because nobody else is doing that. And also, I mean, that's what I know. So mm. uh, I will, uh, and that's the fascinating thing. If you take away the colors in Cuba, then you have to work a lot more harder to get your photos to pop. Mm. Which means that when they pop, man, they're going to pop real good. Mm. Mm. Mm -mm. Cuba, another country. I mean, you've taken, you've gone to New York, you got yeah, engaged in New York. I'm going to New York uh, next week. What? Mm. I, I was you saving everything. You don't, you don't tell me these I'm things. I'm saving it for the pub. Well, why are you going? Oh, because business. It is a business trip. Is Sanis going with you? Nope. Mm. So is it uh, Manhattan? It is Manhattan. New York City. New York City. Are you going on your own or are you going with a team? We have a team. Probably six different people. Uh, six What's your go-to thing when you go to New York privately, apart from no, take I photos? I have no idea, man. I was there uh, a couple of years ago, but I don't know. Do you like New York? I do. Mm. I mean, there's uh, like we got a friend of ours, Patrick Dahl, mm. owner of uh, La Chemise uh, shirts and uh, cycling clothes. Yeah, he 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 just in New York is he has to be there two or three times a year. Yeah, um, I went. I've been twice. Mm, I like it, but it's not something I have to keep going back. But there is people who have to go there. I've got a neighbor who wants to be there. I'm I'm happy I've been there, but it's not like I crave to go back there. But uh, where do you stand on that? I love it. I, I could easily go there every month. Really? Can't afford it, though. <laughs> it's so damn... I mean, the downside is it takes quite a long time to get there. It's like an eight, nine hour stretch. Uh -huh. And it's just, everything is so ridiculously expensive as well. It's got more expensive. Oh, I read that <clears throat> like a burger cost 500 crowns there because of Stop the inflation. It. No, really, because the inflation and everything. So, but so, uh, yeah. Um, you going business class? No. Oh. Travel. Travel in the back. Economy class. With all the others. Cycling. Yeah. What made you get into that? I don't know the story behind that. story about that is that I was having a meeting with Christian Appel, who is one of the founders of the company and partner of today. We had a meeting because uh, during a couple of years, I uh, joined a client of ours and they wanted to have me back to workshop. So we actually had a, a meeting when they wanted, where he wanted to tell me about you know, what the plans are for workshop and if I would like to come back. And by then they got like this company bikes branded workshop that the staff could use between meetings in Stockholm. Really, really heavy and ugly bikes. Um, so we sat on those bikes and I was like, wow, I haven't been riding my bike for like, I don't know how long. 
probably like 10, 15 years. I was a small kid. I went to a cycling store the same day, bought a bike, and started riding my bike. So you. That's so me. So you. I have no patience. I gotta have it. <laughs> I have gotta have it. It's very similar to me. Yeah. So I just went there, bought it, um, and started cycling from that day. What was your first bike? Cannondale CAD something. Mm. Yeah. Aluminium. No, no, no. It was a Cannondale bad boy. We've been on some yeah. good trips. We've been to yeah. uh, Altea. Yeah. In Alicante mm. a couple of times. Yeah. I've also left you. You did? <laughs> yeah. Can't Went home it. early. <laughs> can't remember i, I get so been. homesick oh yeah yeah yeah. i guess so that was homesick. that was la our last time we went yeah there. i guess yeah, so homesick. i think i was on i told you i was on the verge of i've been cycling i'm 46 now and i started when i was 13 mm. uh, i had a break when i went to uni picked it up when i moved to sweden so and i just think uh, you know it's coming to the back end of like putting in those hard hours over the winter yeah. but i really and i came to the point like i you know being away from the family, I get so homesick. I, 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 Me too. I, I, I've called Lena. If I've been on 10 cycling trips and some have been with you, yeah. probably five of them, I've called her up and she says, oh, are you coming home now? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, and I really, I really, because she's like had to get her mind in, okay, with work, come home yeah. early, take the dog and stuff. And I'm like, I just like take. Yeah. But uh, I've had some good trips and cycling abroad is amazing. It is. I mean, it's uh, different in another country. It's hard to get motivated yeah. here and, I mean, we love we love Sweden, yeah. but it's the same routes. But cycling abroad is beautiful. You, you haven't experienced cycling on, you know, until you go abroad to Spain or Italy mm. to to ride. Then you're like, okay, this is what life is about in cycling. Mm. So you've taken up, and then I got into my jiu-jitsu. COVID came. I bought a motorbike after not having one yeah. for well, let's take at least eighteen years. Mm. Uh, I bought an extremely fast bike for one year because yeah. my my uh, bucket list thing to do yeah. is said if I ever bought a motorbike again, I'd buy a race bike and go on the track. Yeah. So you did. I did it. Mm. Uh, wow. What an experience. Mm. Going 300 kilometers an hour on the track. But also thinking to yourself, if I crash this, this is a, the end. This is a 300,000 kroner repair. <laughs> you're thinking, you're talking about repair. I'm thinking you will be dead. No. Oh, just learning actually it's fascinating when you ride a motorbike and they tell you don't just when you come to when you go down a long straight mm. and you break don't uh, just roll in no you slam on the brakes yeah. i mean just thinking you have to trust that the brake is not going to do you like the back wheel go up yeah you have to put your weight back plus you have to believe that this rubber on the front wheel is we'll, not going to we'll hold you up yeah and then you just let the brake go and dive into the corner. And as soon as you learn done that, these were amazing. But yeah. I, I, I think I couldn't. And then I also, because of my personality being quite addictive when I like something, the community around motorcycling and track days was amazing that I actually thought to myself, I could easily get into this. Mm. Uh, but I had to actually pull myself away from it because I would just be another time I'm away from the weekends. Yeah. So this year I bought a nice scrambler bike, mm. Ducati scrambler. I wanted to basically look like David Beckham and Brad Pitt. I know you told me <laughs> that was that was my go-to move. Put a t-shirt on, jeans, just rock up to a coffee shop. Every, everything that the drive, you know, the driver license company tell you not to do. <laughs> if you ride a bike, don't wear a t-shirt. Put some proper gear on, but don't be David. Don't be Brad Pitt. 
Yeah, but that the but long, like, the no. longo, the lango uh, yeah, coffee, yeah, yeah. coffee going to get his coffee beans. Of course. Yeah, but I, I justify it that going in town, jeans and t-shirt isn't. I'm not going to do more than fifty kilometers an hour, and I can ride a moped. Really? I mean, but if we go for you a long took way. me for rides in the city, man. Mm. And then Hope there was no policeman watching it, but it wasn't fifty. <laughs> and then you sat on this bike. Sounds like I'm a small child. I didn't sat on the bike. You did. You drove you... it to me and said, Payman, look at my big bike. I can't look remember. I can't toy. remember the scenario, but oh. I remember it like this. You sat on the bike and you pulled my throttle. And it vi- <laughs> and it, vi- and it vibrated. <laughs> and you went, Oh, this is nice. I like. And then like a, a week later or something, you're very I'm going to take my driver's license. I've just, no, no. I bought a bike. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but you don't have a license. No, but I bought a bike. <laughs> and then you took it. That's and how I do it, man. And then like within two months, you got your license. One and a half. All right. Don't have to show off. Yeah, one and a half. I'll give you credit where it's due. One no, and but half. the thing is that I, I've been interested in bikes, but not that much. And then uh, you got, come with your first, but I wasn't that interested. I was like, I'm not going to get into race bikes and like that. And then you got the scrambler. I was like, ah, it's quite nice. And then I try, try, you know, just tried it on the, the throttle and it sounded great. And I was like, ah, oh, this, this is nice. Um, and a friend of mine came over and he's a biker and he was like having this vintage bike. And I was like, ah. Oh. What did you just say? You have another friend with a bike? Yes. <laughs> David, his name is David. Beckham. <laughs> Not Beckham. Um, yeah, so I was like, ah, I'm just going to go and get a bike. I bought, went to, because I, I, I followed you to, I mean, I, I like I like design. And I was like, I Triumph bikes looks amazing. So I went to the Triumph store because I knew where it was. I followed you to Ducati, which is next door. Mm. Uh, and, and you happened to be there because I texted you like, where are you? You're like, I'm, I'm at Ducati because you were there doing something and you were changing exhaust on your bike or something. And I was like, well, I'm outside. So we were there at the same time and we talked to Gabriel at Triumph. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, and I got a scrambler. And then you got that shipped to you and then we did, you took, <clears throat> and then we uh, did some, quite a bit, quite a bit of like test driving together. You took me to, what is it called? Rosen Hill, like a really known biker stretch. I think I, I was, I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> it was so many twists and turns. I remember this. This is a deja vu, and I'm not gonna be mean, but remember when we went My on God. our first bike ride together abroad, and you were going down a hill, and I was saying, okay, we're gonna go down a hill, <laughs> but you can also see. That you're gonna have to go uphill, so you need mm. um, speed. I'm a lazy cyclist. Mm. Well, I'm an efficient cyclist. Smart. I want to do as little effort as possible up that hill as possible. So I want as much run up to it. So I, you just frustrated me that you always had your brakes on. Yeah. So I said, let go of your brakes on. Yeah, the bike. I remember that. And then you got a motorbike, and now yeah. you got brakes again. But now you got better. But now I'm now yeah. I'm a good rider. Yeah, uh, but the other thing is, I was just when I, when we went out the first time. I mean, riding in city is one thing, but riding on roads like sixty, seventy kilometers per hour roads, you have to take turns in the right way. Uh, and I just came back from the ride and was like, "What the fuck have I done? I'm just gonna get myself killed. What What am I doing? Why am I doing this?" Uh, and then I took driver's license classes, and the guys they're really, really good. And he said, "Like, 
when I'm done with you, you're going to enjoy riding on those roads so much. Uh, so now it's awesome. So next summer we will be doing a lot of riding together, my friend. And in the, with the Scrambler, and it, it feels like more of a lifestyle bike. Yeah. You can have a different gear. It yeah, is a bit of fashion a, yeah, on it. And you've, you've uh, teched out, cool. your, you've kind of customized your bike a little bit. Yeah. I just searched stuff on YouTube and ordered parts and unscrew and screw it back. So where does it stand now? Bike versus bike versus uh, cycling. I buy, I mean obviously but this uh, last summer the bike uh, the motorbike took all the time. You're going to try and find a balance next year? Yes. But it is tempting. It is. It's a sunny day. Do you, oh, it's you, it's cooler. I mean you have this cool bike, you have this what cool you gear. Do? Uh, I don't know. Let's see. You feel unfaithful to the other one if you don't do it. Yeah. And Sanis, I didn't, you know, Sanis was a bit against the, the whole motorbike thing, but uh, she's been on the back a few times. She was pro me getting a bike. She was like, that's nice because her sister is actually, she's riding a Harley Davidson, her older sister. So she was all for it, but she didn't want to ride on the back of the bike. And she did it once and it was like, ah, it's not that bad and did it twice. And now she's, she thinks it's fun. Yeah. It is good. I've really enjoyed picking up Lena in town and the girls. It's so nice riding a bike in the summer instead of oh. sitting in a car in traffic. Yeah, it's, it's so good. It's, yeah. You, one thing I, um, I going back to the work thing, mm-hmm. what's the best advice you've ever heard? I know I'm putting you on the spot without any preparation. Oh, just but give what, me a... Uh, because you've come up with, we've talked a lot about things with like, me and you see things differently than the traditional uh, corporate setup when HR is involved, when a recruitment yeah. agency is involved, they do all these. So you don't believe, and I, I when we when we talk about a recruitment agency that's trying mm. to, um, it's funny, when, when a recruitment agency headhunts you, yeah, they know what you've done. Mm. You're not desperate for a job because you got a job. Yeah. Then you say, okay, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. And then they ask you to dance through all these loops. Yeah. Like, take this IQ, take this uh, practical test. I said, look, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You (laughs) ask me. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, actually. Yeah. But so you remind me again why you said something good about not doing the IQ and the. What's the other kind of practical? Uh, No, personality test. Personality test and logical test and all that. Why don't you do them? Wait, I, I don't. I think. I mean, I, talked about like if some, my yeah. Some I think in some of those tests I score really bad. I don't know. I fail. I, I just like I I I'm not good at it. Um, but I don't think that I mean. But so, yeah, but I know that what I do is I do it good. So I I personally can't. I mean, I know what which strengths I have. I know which uh, weaknesses I have. So I surround with. Me myself with people that I know will balance my weaknesses and you know surpass whatever potential I would have with it. So, and just judging people by a test, I think that's not just giving you the whole picture. It's very two-dimensional. Yeah, I I, I consider myself well. My personality uh, tests actually do reflect a, quite a bit of how I am. So those mm. are okay. I'm not. Yeah. But the IQ test with you know. Trying to work out the the which dots go in what box. Yeah. I consider myself a very rational, practical man, 
pragmatic in finding solutions. Yeah. I've proven that through my experience in life. Yeah. Um, but it just can't, I can't reflect that in those tests. Me neither. I mean, and I, and I do fill them in thinking I've nailed it. Yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> the things that you can, you can throw me a couple of numbers and a problem and I will quite fast connect the dots and tell you what the, the cause is, whether it's a good or bad thing. Mm. But I, I just can't get my head around this dots and putting stuff in the right. And I don't think it's reality because if you're pay, faced with a, like we talked before, we got on maybe we're just too stupid to figure it out. But you're faced with a very emotional, irrational client yeah. that is basically forcing onto you something that you weren't prepared for, but you know your team is doing the best they can. You you have to be very pragmatic on how to solve that, both finding the balance to keep that client happy, keep their ego, pol- uh, you know, massage, but keep them in touch with like, okay, th- that's not okay. Yeah. And that, those dots are not going to fill it in. Yeah, but I, I also think that, I mean, if, if if you train for it, or, I don't know, prepare yourself more, or get, really get your head around what is this test about and how can I improve, you would probably become better at it. But I think the first time I did it, I was a total disaster. Mm. Uh, and since then, I mean, obviously I go into those situations, or not any longer, but back then with a bad self-esteem, which don't help. So mm. I'm, I've already lost this case before i even start doing it so uh, yeah but uh, nowadays i thankfully don't have to do them yeah, yeah. lucky man you're yeah, very lucky i got um i got headhunted a few years ago called me in hours of meetings going super well i did these tests and then the personality was good <laughs> did the IQ, and uh, and then it says below average and I like the way the recruiter goes, or the HR said something like, "It's okay, it's okay, it, it, it happens to some of us." And then like saying, what "We do don't, we, we, this doesn't mean everything. How we're going to judge you?" And I'm just going, "You're judging, yeah, now. you're judging." You think I, you know, so you can't save this. Never heard from them. No, never heard back from them. I thought, oh Christ. So you have you had time to think of the best advice? Oh, the be- I mean, it could be life, could be business. No, I, I think well, I can tell you what advice I or am. Or philosophy you live by. Yeah, I think what, what I can tell you that I, I try to think of a lot of the times now and try to coach my teams and you know, people around me is in business, silence is not good. So I don't want, I mean, if as, as soon as there is silence from a client, Silence internally about projects, um, silence in communication, you don't hear everything. I take that as something is wrong. So silence is not a good thing when it comes to business. It's better to get bad information than no information. It's better to give some information than no information. So I think that's that's something that I'm thinking of a lot. Like mm. Why is there a silence here? What about sometimes you don't want to wake the bear? <laughs> the bear is going to wake up someday. Yeah, it's just really my hungry and angry. Yeah, so you just might you know wake it up with a nice steak in front of it. My my go to philosophy is get shit done, and sometimes crack on and make those decisions and then fail, but resolve on the way mm. because most of the things you do will not be 
so major that there that it's a catastrophe that'll have a massive impact because yeah. you'll see the warning signs but to sit in a discuss come to some uh, resolution or consensus and uh, oh my god no get shit done mm. give people the mandate to make decisions on them on their own to empower them but understand their accountability yeah i, I have one this is this is something that i is a uh, 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 you know, I was at a, at a keynote speaker and he said something. This this been with me for, I think it's like probably 15 years. He said that you don't, you have to, what was it? You have to, don't work to become happy. You have to be happy to be able to be good at what you do. So not going around and say, I'm going to work hard because one day I will buy that car and then I will be happy. So you have to find happiness and that will lead you to whatever goal you have. So I think that's something also to think of that how can I, you know, because everybody knows if you're feeling good about yourself, you're confident, you're happy with where you are, you're accepting your situation and you just, you know, make the best out of it, you're going to be a better mind, mind space to actually do, perform better than being really miserable and saying, well, if I just get across this path, I'm just, I know the golden bridge is going to be on the other side. Mm. So I think that was a good, good, uh, I don't live by it. <laughs> no, not, not according, still, to, still, not still according to our last conversation. Yeah. Um, I've noticed the small things in life sometimes where I feel, I notice an instant impact on my daily quality of life. When I w say if I wake up and I get going and everything, if I leave home and I'm walking with my shoulders back and I'm smiling, mm. the positive energy I'm getting off other people, looks and stuff, I feel like. So I think smiling yeah. is really powerful. Because mm. one day, some days when I'm like clouded mind, you know, I'm thinking things and I got my head down and I look serious, you, you, you look. No one wants to be attracted no. to that. So I found smiling is yeah. something I, I, I want to be doing it more often. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, that that's something I think uh, I see a big impact on. So what drives you right now? What's driving you for the next few years, both life and work? Or are you just taking day Such by day? Such a big question. No, but I think I think I'm happy with where I am in life. I try to be. Um, I mean, I, I always, you always, I always measure myself against the best. Uh, I always measure our company's performance against the best. Thank industry. you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Can't appreciate measure it. myself with you. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm happy with, with, I think it's, it's a good, I'm having a, I'm healthy. I have a beautiful wife, live in a nice home, have a good job. I'm free to express my opinions, do stuff that I want to do at work and things are going well. So I think as long as it continues in that that um, direction, I'm, I'm quite happy. I have no will of becoming a billionaire, trillionaire, owning a yacht or something like that. I just want things to move just on. Just a millionaire. Just a millionaire is fine. Yeah, uh, average millionaire. Yeah, that's fine. Dollars. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question which I think uh, I'm, I'm interested because because of the role you play at your company now and you've You've come from from the backstory you've told us of your dad and living in Sweden and coming up to where you are now. 
and you're leading a multi-million uh, company. How do you see the way we talk about equal pay? Mm-hmm. You know, women getting equal pay, men get. Uh, wait, I mean, I have mine. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. T- you def- want to go first? No, 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 no. <laughs> you might answer it. I yeah. mean, how do you see? Because there's a lot of emphasis on that women get equal pay. Yes. Uh, how how do you see it, and uh, how do you try to live by it at work? I mean, I, I've, I'm in a situation where I, can, I actually can, in not only influence it, but actually, you know, activate it, activate or, it, or, or take implement actions, it. implement it. So, I, you know, hundred ten percent behind. I mean, there is nothing to not be in behind. Equal pay for equal positions and jobs. And I know for a fact, when you're looking at numbers, and you know, and we've been looking at this, is that. I mean, there is there is a difference in pay in the society in terms of paying women and men equally for the same type of job. So it needs to be there, and I think it's it it's not it shouldn't have anything to do with this if it's a man or a woman or, or whatever. It's just that same positions should have same and and experience, of course. You may have been working for a long time or performance should be measured and compensated in the same way, regardless of your gender. Mm. Of course. So you're, you talk about, you're focusing on that, you're taking the gender away from it and focusing on the person. So you're not necessarily influenced in, uh, okay, we need to hire a woman. You're looking at the person. Looking at the person. And of course, if I mean in our company, in in some areas, it's been it's been uh, women have been underrepresented. Underrepresented. Some women have been uh, women have been unrepresented in uh, cer- certain categories. So and then you can say, well, just that's just the way it is because you know in this area there are a lot of men and not so much women. I think it's imp- so important to ask yourself, why is that? And. Is there anything we're doing? Is there a reason for us not being able to reach women in this category? Or what can we do to attract women in this to this category? So I think it's so important to ask yourself the question, why is it the way, why is it looking the way it does? And then see what actions you can take from there. But do you believe that some categories just are always going to be more heavily influenced with uh, a majority women or a majority of men? And that's just the way it is. And we're trying to force a something that's just not evolutionary natural. So then like it it's sort of like what you do is you compromise the company's ability within that category by trying to make it so um neutral or balanced that you actually forget to hire the best person. No man, I think I think the best person you get my question. Yeah, but I think the best person needs always to it is what it is. So I mean you if you have if we have uh, only men in one team and you're thinking and, and you're conscious about okay we're having we're having only men in this team is there a reason why there's only men being hired in these positions then you, th- you need to ask yourself why is that and you go like well it's hard to find women in this in this category or you can say and start looking into how have we, how have we actually recruited 
these positions. And there you go. Like, and this is a situation I can actually relate to at work. And I was like, well, we have hired these people based on our network. And of course, if then if if you're guys and you tend to be uh, more, I don't know, connect easier with other guys in the same age with the same interest, you're you're more prone to recruit those people into your into the positions that you have available. So I think you have to be more co- conscious and determined about are we recruiting without taking our personal preferences in terms of how, who we are as person. Put that aside and and make an effort to find women in this case mm. to positions. I think I think you just have to make a bigger effort, and I do believe that. I, I mean, of course, there are uh, male-dominated uh, industries and uh, industries that are dominated by women, but it, there sh- there is no reason for that to be so. I believe. Why, why are women? There are a lot. I mean, uh, in, when it comes to daycare, a lot of women. That that is definitely a dominated industry or or work area by women, but there is no reason for that to be that way. It's just the way it's have been. It have been, uh, and it shouldn't. There is no reason for that to be this way for the future. Well, I think there is. Yeah, I I would. I would definitely disagree with you on that because I think there is the both the social, psychological and biological reasons for some areas within society that are going to attract more women than men, not because we've just, I mean, women. Yeah. But, so first of all, I want to leave a, a side note on this, that I think women and men can work very well together. I've worked with re- really good women that I think are steps above men yeah, yeah. Men, so, but then you know so but in some things like women have more empathy they have more patience they have more caring they have more love men are very much more like rational and practical and like oh don't have the tolerance for stuff mm. so maybe they're not best suited for some things uh where empathy is required and i mean you know we can get into that but it's uh it was just interesting to hear your because i feel you know, there is this push towards equal pay and I believe like equal pay for a person who has an equal position um, and that it doesn't mean that, okay, now you're first woman prime minister. Okay, that's quite cool. Mm. It's quite cool to see finally a woman has taken that in a very male-dominated environment. Yeah. But I really want the the right person for the job. Hey, I don't want, I don't care no, what gender you are. 100%. I mean, if you're a great Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. So we, we can't, you know, there, there has been an iconic, the Iron Lady. And I just feel sometimes we're just trying to force this, this ideology into an area where it could actually discriminate people, both men and women, because we're trying to find this perfect harmony. And I was just curious, because no, you leading yeah. a big company, yeah. how, how do you feel the pressure? Um, and I mean, I don't feel the pressure. I'm, it's the opposite around. I'm actually prone challenging our HR, challenging our, you know, leadership to think of, you know, are we paying, are we really paying people equally? I want to know. I want to have the facts on the table. How do we measure it? Uh, how can we make sure that we are, have not built up structures subconsciously that is uh, paying someone more or less 
because of their women or men. Uh, to just really rule that out of the way and say, no, we don't do that. Uh, and finding mechanisms and checkpoints for not letting that happen. Um, and I, if I would have a male-dominated management team and I get two candidates, one guy and one girl, uh, I would definitely go, and the same competence level experience, everything is equal. I would choose the girl in this case because I think that diversity in a team is key for success. Um, it needs to be a representation in a team. So I think you have just... I don't think we and should... You're, I mean, you're, <clears throat> you're talking about the absolute perfectly equal scenario yeah. the only difference is gender yeah well, which is highly unlikely yeah, but it, can, it can be gender but it can be also uh, background social economic background mm. it can be you know diversity is good diversity so just I mean it's about I, I, I'm just super cautious about it needs to be you need to be very aware of and do you know checking out and checkpoints on mm. not letting things just go on because that's the way it's been done. Just because maybe a male manager feels more comfortable recruiting a male person. Which I, which I would you know, assume that that is because it's easier because you can be buddies and you can you know grab mm. a beer. You can't maybe. That's don't, the old school recruitment process. Yeah, because you don't maybe don't feel comfortable that you can do that with a with a um, female colleague. It's come to my realization that I think men are better negotiators than women. Women. Uh, are caring so they feel they want to contribute more without taking do you feel that's the case no i mean I, i've met some badass <laughs> yeah when when there is okay let's put it this way the the average guy can negotiate but when the when the when a woman can negotiate then it's like she's got her facts in check and she's putting them down well, what do you mean by negotiate like like asking like, for a salary increase ah i think men yeah. men when I used to have a bike shop and sell, yeah, there was one thing. Men would always ask another man for discount. Mm. A a male customer would never ask a woman for discount because he would be seen as cheap. That's one mm. thing I scenario okay. I had. And a woman would never ask for discount mm. to to us. We, this was very clear. This is facts. You can't. Yeah. This is, and I experienced this. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I think I I don't know the psychology on it, but yeah. I, I felt that was the scenarios that every man said, oh, uh, "Do we get anything?" Yeah. For yeah, yeah, man on man yeah. negotiation. I hate I hate to negotiate. I have come to realize that <laughs> I I never asked for discounts yeah. in shops because I'd rather be uh, rewarded for maybe being a nice guy. Yeah, I I can ask for it if there is like, you know, I wasn't planned. I did that the other day. I was like I. They want me to buy something. I was like, I didn't plan to buy this. And it was the last example. I was like, you know what? If you give me a really good deal, I can buy it off you. And which mm. they didn't. I bought it. But I don't I don't want to be. I'm like, there is a price for it. There is a market set price. They're trying to run a business. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Why should I do it? Mm. There is like really no. And I, I, don't, I don't need that extra hundred crowns. I, I'd rather have the business survive and, you know, thriving mm. and so on. So. Um, yeah. Payment. Uh, Payment. we've been talking for... What, this is it? This is it. I think this is, we're talking nearly an hour and a half and I think we could go off on a tangent and I was... Let's, make, I, let's make it a, uh, make an, um, second episode. 
definitely. And I think, you know, I, I'm very interested in the dynamics in the working culture on, um, on, you know, both the diversity and, and how we build business. But, uh, I love that you, you're my friend. I mm. love you took the time today. Love coming here. Friday. Thank you for the Guinness. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your back backstory and your father. I met your father and I went to your wedding. Oh, you did, yeah. And I met you and I danced with your mummy. Yeah, yeah. I gave her the what do you call the kellalele? Kellalele. What do you call it? I don't know. Keller. You said when we, you know, when we did. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you told your mum not to do it. (laughs) I had an amazing time at your wedding. That's right. I told please don't do that sound. And then and you Oh, me and your mom. <laughs> you you prov- you you actually brought that out of her, right? You were pushing on, pushing her to do it. That's what I do with the mums, yeah, all the single mums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. All right. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, guys. Ta-da. Bye. Bye.